Blog Talk Radio.
everyone, and welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in this evening. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's hopefully already going on there. I do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, post it, and we will do our best to get your question on air. There is a little bit of difficulty tonight with the chat room, so bear with me, please. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you just can't continue to listen online, you may call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227. And that way you can listen via phone, or if you're driving about, if you would please use your Bluetooth. That would work really well. Thank you. Okay, warm, wicked, and one of a kind, Ellen Canner, our guest this evening, is the author of Feeding the Hungry Ghost, Life, Faith, and What to Eat for Dinner. It's her new book, which we will be discussing tonight. And Ellen offers an irreverent approach to bringing reverence into daily living and eating. She presents global vegan-style recipes that call us back to the table. She gives us stories that make us stand up and cheer, gentle nudges that aim to serve up what we're hungry for, which is a more vital self, more loving and meaningful connections, a nourished and nourishing world, and great food, too. (laughs) Ellen is an award-winning food writer, Huffington Post Meatless Monday blogger, syndicated columnist of The Edgy Veggie. Her work has been published in Bon Appetit, Eating Well, Vegetarian Times, and Every Day with Rachel Ray, as well as other online and print publications. And she's an advocate for sustainable, accessible food. She served on the Miami boards of Slow Food and Common Threads. And you can learn more about her by visiting her website after the show at ellen-ink.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Ellen. How are you being this evening? I am being really good and glad to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) You are quite welcome. You know, I love the title of your book, Feeding the Hungry Ghost, Life, Faith, and What to Eat for Dinner. And I I was wondering, the hungry ghost in the title, that really is a Taoist concept, is it not? Exactly right. Good for you, woman. Um, (laughs) A lot of people say, whoa, what is it? But you knew exactly. Hungry ghosts are... um, a concept of people who were so hungry and clutchy and needy, and maybe you have a few in your life, that are that way even after they die. So they come back and haunt you because they're still oh not fulfilled. God. They're just oh, really intense all the time. <laughs> and the only way to soothe a hungry ghost in, in Asia, there are hungry ghost festivals in which you pray to your ancestors, and you give them food offerings. And I thought, wow, you know, this is like centuries and centuries old, but I think it's still true today, and it's really true for humans, that especially the lives we lead now, we are so crazy and hungry for we don't even know what. We want more, more, more. We're, we're, we, you know, we're hungry. We are hungry on a really deep spiritual level. Um, And a little care and a little good food quiets us down and wakes us up in really good ways. And that's what I think I liked most about your book, because it's a compilation of so many things. It it is a cookbook. It is a self-help book, even maybe more importantly, I'm not sure. It's, It's a memoir. It's everything 
combined into one, and it's fun to read. You get a lot of recipes out of it, and I have to admit, I've written down ingredients. I just haven't had time to go and buy them and make some of the stuff. <laughs> but some of it sounds really good. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it just you're right. People are hungry for, they don't even know what. I mean, just everything. And your book kind of covers it all. Was that your intent or did that somehow just evolve into all of that as you were writing? Uh, Well, you were very kind to mention a lot of the publications I've written for. uh, And I'm very involved in my local food community. But it seems like we have gotten, like everyone is, is very delineated. Like you are someone in the food industry business, or you are a farmer, or you are talking about food you're, from a medical standpoint, from, from how it heals the body, or you're talking about it from a green standpoint, how it can lessen or affect your, your carbon output. And I'm thinking, well, you know, food is the axis. It's what connects us, because whatever you do, whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, we all need to eat. And um, the book let me talk about food and have these larger conversations. I say I'm the vegan who wants to invite everyone to the table. <laughs> and you do. <laughs> it's it's funny because people do pigeonhole people into something. Okay, this is what you do, so you can't possibly you know, relate to anything else, and yet you cover it all so well. Someone I was telling about the book said to me, uh, it's a lot like Eat, Pray, Love. And I said, I have no idea. I haven't read that book. She's, well, did you see the movie? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I didn't even know it was a movie. <laughs> you know, that's, pretty, that's pretty bad, I know. But I read a book a week, and they're not, usually not, you know, it's usually for the show. It's always for the show, and it's usually not leisure time reading books. So I don't know what you know about Eat, Pray, Love, but do you feel that there's any similarity? I had to put it out there because I just didn't know, you know, where to go with it. <laughs> okay, um, I would say a lot of there's a lot of the same stuff on the menu, um, and I too would like to be have the movie version of me played by Julia Roberts and travel <laughs> to these wonderful locations. Um, it it would be fabulous. Um, it's not really attainable for most of us. So what I wanted was, was to to give you that sense of the whole world right where you are, to bring that to you, to show how we are all connected. Uh, And you don't even have to worry about going through airport security or anything like that. You don't need a visa. You bring it all to the table yourself. Well, there you go, and that's a plus right there. You don't have to leave the comfort of your own home. You know, you can can do all this clearly from just reading your book and, and, uh, and having some of these recipes here. Now, all of the recipes... I'm pretty sure all the recipes are vegan, aren't they? They are, but I have found when you say that word to people, if they are not familiar with it, they get that kind of stricken Bambi in the headlights look. Uh, And I really don't want that. What I want is for this to be inclusive, to invite you in, and to remind people that that vegan food is not a new concept, um, that... If you like Middle Eastern food, if you like hummus, that happens to be vegan. If you like mm-hmm. Asian, Asian noodles with peanut sauce, everyone loves that. That's vegan, too. These are foods that have been around for generations and generations, and they're not that alien. In fact, they're probably at their root comfort food for you, too. 
Most likely because so many restaurants over the years, probably in the last 20 years, have cropped up that are everywhere where you can easily access this type of food, and people refer to it as specialty. So they want to go out to have this kind of food. And I, and I agree with you. I think that vegan kind of turns people off because there's a difference between vegan and vegetarian, and I think more people are in tune with what vegetarian is, but the vegan might stop them. Would you agree with that? Uh, I I absolutely see the point of what you're saying. To talk about having an entirely plant-based diet, uh, while to me it is extremely broad and extremely versatile and extremely liberating, it takes a mind shift. And if what you're used to is a standard diet, the idea of changing what you eat can seem very, very threatening. And I would much rather tempt you with something delicious and and make you say, oh, you know what? That just happened to be vegan. It wasn't so bad. What else you got? Right, right, right. And I think people are eating vegan and they don't realize it, as you said, if they're going to Middle Eastern restaurants and such, they're actually experiencing it. And and I find eating is an experience. Good, good, good. You know? I mean, not all the time, I have to admit. Most of the time, I'm just eating for sustenance because I'm busy, I'm on the go, I'm throwing carrots and celery in my mouth. That's what I do. But at the end but of the day, you're throwing I, carrots and celery in your mouth. You are, are yeah. already, yeah, good for you. You know, or juicing. Like in the morning, I start with kale, spinach, ginger root, lemon juice, pineapple juice, and wash it all down with my vitamins. You know, and that's what mm-hmm. that's breakfast. And if you throw in chia seeds, you're not hungry all day. That stuff is great. <laughs> it's true. I think I, I read that like the Aztecs used to chew them when they were like doing these amazing things. They they had all this incredible vitality, and you can have it too. Chia is, is like, ancient, and, like, now we're just discovering it. Oh, but it's so, so good. And isn't it bizarre? Yeah. Why are we just discovering it, you know? It's actually a good diet food because the first time I put it in in my Vitamix and said, okay, I'm adding chia seeds to this, and I drank the drink, which is only, like, 16 ounces, let's say. I drank it. I was not hungry, and that night I went to bed and I thought, oh, I didn't eat all that. I'm, I'm still not hungry. It's got to be those chia seeds. Mm-hmm. It had to be those because they're just just—they're very cool, and they're a good egg substitute as well for, for cooking and stuff. Are you a vegan or a vegetarian? Did you grow up that way? or? Oh, I don't know anyone in America who grew up that way. Uh, I, grew <laughs> up, <laughs> I grew up eating um, a, a fairly typical American diet, um, which meant at the time a lot of, of processed food and um now I say that and I feel like I'm I'm speaking badly of my parents and they you know I, my mother eats a, a lot of vegetables now but that was not how that was not in at the time and um that wasn't what I grew up eating um I went vegetarian at 13 because I love cows and I made the association that the animals I love shouldn't be on my plate. Uh I wasn't thinking I could do it forever because, you know, at 13, two weeks can be forever. That's true. (laughs) Um, But I thought, let me just try this and see how it goes. And I never wanted meat again. Um, And that's one thing, even if you don't want to think about giving up meat, if you want to give yourself the opportunity to try something different just for now, let yourself experience it. I think sometimes we make things more difficult for ourselves than we need to. 
I, I agree. We, we oftentimes do. And when you gave up meat at the tender age of 13, how did that go over in your household? Was mom cooking differently for you or just keeping meat off your plate? Um, bit of both, but that might have been what got me really interested in cooking. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Um. Because this was all new to to her and and new to my family, I figured, you know what, I'm going to have to lead the way here. Uh, And I'm not saying my beginning culinary efforts were great. Uh, I blundered my way through it, and I learned a lot in the process. So much so that you were able to write a book for all of us to benefit from down the road, which is great. Well, I'm not 13 anymore. Uh, well, but, yes, it, it goes to show you with age can come wisdom. <laughs> That's very true. You know, one of the points you make in your book is to eat seasonally, and that makes so much sense. But for, for our listeners who don't really know what I'm talking about, would you tell us what it, why it is so important that we connect meals with the seasons? That is where your freshest, most nourishing, and actually kind of exciting food is. If you think about what's most of what's in your supermarket, it's processed, it's on a shelf, and who knows how long it's been there or where it came from, or even in many cases what's in it. Uh, When you eat the fruits and vegetables that are in season, and there is always something growing, even when there's snow on the ground, hard to believe, (laughs) that... Then you're eating really exciting living food, and it's so, so good for you. It really connects you with the planet in very positive ways. And especially in your own locality. I mean, I'm in the Northeast, and we still have farmer's markets now where people are growing things in greenhouses. Of course, the farmer's markets are inside, so you can get locally grown food. And that's really important to not, not to, you know... No disparaging marks about the supermarkets or anything, but I shop the outer perimeter, and I Good found job. that that doesn't even work well because mm-hmm. I remember on January 5th I bought vine-ripened tomatoes, vine-ripened tomatoes. Then on January 18th or 17th I went to Germany and I came back on, like, the 19th. And I looked at the tomatoes on the counter and I thought, oh, you know what, I need to eat those before they go bad. And I kept looking at them and I thought, wait a minute. These are now two weeks old, and there's nothing wrong with these tomatoes. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm in the middle of an experiment. So I waited. <laughs> I wanted to see what was going to happen because it just hit me. There's something wrong that there's no rot or no discoloration or anything. And it wasn't until, like, February 10th that I threw the tomatoes out because they weren't going bad. And I thought, no, they weren't in the refrigerator. They were on the counter. The house is always at 68, and I thought, I think they're just low. This is probably plastic now. I mean, what yeah. this term? And how many GMOs are in this tomato that I don't know? And then I was, and my husband was telling me he listened to NPR, and on NPR they were saying, oh, the best tomatoes to get are the vine-ripened ones from Mexico. And I said, you're telling me this after I just threw tomatoes out that were like six weeks old from Mexico because I neglected to look at where it was from because I was in a rush that day. I remember it well. But you don't know. You really have to pay attention when you shop. I'm afraid you do, but what is more precious than yourself? So you really need to take care about how you fuel yourself, what you put in your body. I mean, you talk so much about creating positive energy. You can really do that with you can do that with what you eat. You can also do a lot of damage with what you eat, too. 
and you feel it quickly because oh, yeah. it's, yes, it's too quick. When I have a day where, okay, you know, I'll eat cookies, you know, and Girl Scouts are around. They're, they're selling cookies, so, you know, mm-hmm. I'm buying. <laughs> they're on the counter, and now it's a day of instead of the carrots and celery, you're eating, you know, Thin Mints. By the end of the day, you have a headache, you're dehydrated, and you don't feel good. And the next morning when you get up in juice, it's like your cells are just saying, oh, thank you so much for refreshing me and giving me what You can almost feel it in every cell in your body when you put good food in. I believe that. Uh, but it's, it's a hard sell for people who are used to processed food every single day to say, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's really something sexy about a fresh carrot or a fresh mango or or anything. I mean, this is food that is alien to them. Uh, I uh, have have um, done classes where I, I work with kids, and I love, love, love getting kids in the kitchen. But one said, you know, I'm not going to eat that. That's dirty. And I said, well, that carrot came out of the ground. Where do you think it comes from? He <laughs> didn't, really, really, didn't really think about that um, because this – the planet is a strange new world to a lot of people, uh, and I would really like to invite them back to Earth to get to know it a little better. This is home. This is where we live. This is where we come from, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Be a part of it. Take part in it. And, you know, if you're eating more locally and you're not guaranteed that it's organic, but there's a much better shot that they're not using pesticides and such. And you can talk to the people at at the local farmer's markets or whatever and get information, and you know when you need to raise a red flag in your head and, and you think, no, I'm just not getting it with this one, but I'll buy from the mm-hmm. other person. You know, and you know that when you go home, you're going to wash the wash your fruits and vegetables. I don't wash them until I'm going to use them, number one. Right. And I used to wash them with whatever they sold in the store to wash with. And then I learned, well, what's that doing? I mean, I don't think that's a smart idea either. <laughs> I wash with water. <laughs> I, I think that's a real good idea, Sometimes the easiest ways are still the best ways. Um, mm-hmm. It's true. We do complicate our lives. Or it's like, okay, buy something else. Um, water has, has been used for as long as there's mankind to wash things. It's good stuff. And I hear people say, but then you, you, know, you really need to wash off all the germs and everything. And in my head, I think, you know what? If it's germs from the dirt in the ground, we need a little bit of dirt, and you need to build up immunity. And mm-hmm. this is probably why we have all these diseases out there that we can't combat because people are so germophobic. And, you know, to a point, that's fine. Wash your hands. Don't touch other people. Wash your hands when you come home from the grocery store because you don't know what was on the carriage. I get all that. But when it comes to the food that I'm eating, I don't know that it has to be you know, sanitized. I agree. Um, You want to keep the nutrients where they are. I I think we are so quick to to throw the goodness away. Um, Remember, I divide my book into four sections, um, and the last one is the compost. There's really great, rich stuff in that soil. You want to keep it there. And it turns so black, and it's so good to use. And it's it's easy to, to have a compost pile. It's not a difficult thing to do. And, you know, I mean, I water mine and I turn it and do all that stuff. Um, but I have difficulty growing things here because the deer eat everything I plant. So, oh, you know. I'm sorry. I think I would grow things for the deer. Oh, okay. my goodness. <laughs> 
instead of like going out and really making it a compost heap, I'll throw things out that aren't really ready to go yet, and I'll say, okay, grow so the deer have, you know, they'll have their own tomato plant and carrots and whatever is, is in the ground. And in the spring, if I'm doing it in the wintertime, in the spring, stuff will start to come up, and I'll just know that they'll, you know, at least they're eating that and not the, the shrubs that are supposed to be just pretty. <laughs> oh, I'm so envious. That sounds just wonderful. See, you've made it your 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 home this wonderful, healthy biosphere. All kinds of animals come. Good for you. They just, oh. they, you have to work with them. You know, you have sure. to plant what they eat, and then you put out what they will eat, you know, because there's geese and swan and gophers and rabbits and deer and black bears, and, and they've all been in the yard. My One black bear shopped out of my trunk when I was putting groceries away, and there went all the apples and grapes, and I was like, all right, more power to you. I'm not going back to get one. <laughs> Have a ball. <laughs> what are you going to do? But yeah, a lot of going to struggle. <laughs> no, no, not with a bear. <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> You win. You're bigger than me. <laughs> but a lot of people think that healthy food is either really, really expensive or it's really difficult to prepare. And that is just so not true. I think you're right. Um, and I would like to know who's been putting out the myth about this. I would like to talk to this person. Whole healthy food is not expensive. It never has been. Uh, I, I write a lot about whole grains and beans because – there is some beanie grainy dish that is part of whatever culture you are from. Uh, I live in Miami where we have a lot of Hispanics. And if you're Nicaraguan, if you're Cuban, if you're Guatemalan, everyone has like some kind of really luscious, slow-cooking bean and grain stew with whatever vegetables are in season. And you know what? That's cheap. That's the people's food. That is food that sustained us. For forever, and okay, I'm a little passionate about it. <laughs> and another nice thing, uh, beans and grains are cheap and they're pantry friendly, so you can have them anytime. Well, that's true, but I think what the problem is is that so many people are rushed or or crunched for time, and they'll stop at any fast food restaurant that they find on their way home from work. So mm-hmm. they're eating really for sustenance only, and they're not doing that well. And I think when they feel that it's difficult to prepare, it's not that it's difficult to prepare. It's that it takes more time than they're willing to put into it. And it's almost like you have to make it a a ritual when you're cooking to really get in there and know that, oh, this is all good food that's going. You can feel the energy that you're giving to the food, and you know it's going to taste good. And. And I think that, you know, I, I have I know people who say, Well, I just buy hamburger helper and I have to tell you, that just makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> like, they still make that junk? And yeah, they do, in a variety of flavors. I don't even know it's just chemicals, but I had to go down the aisle to see it, and I thought, oh, my God, this whole section is Hamburger Helper stuff. And it's not just Hamburger Helper. There's other helpers, and they're not. They're not helping anybody except No, they're not helping anyone. No, they're helping the company make money, but they're not helping people, you know, to live healthier lives. So do you have any tips on how people can make time to cook and cook healthy when they have such an overscheduled life? I know we all do. It is a real problem. Uh, I have several ways to go about this. Um, I have one recipe in the book um, I think I call it recipe for disaster, which is a 10-minute pasta, which will work really wonderfully on a crazy Wednesday night. It's basically noodles and whatever vegetable you have. 
Uh, I created it after a hurricane when we had no power and I really had limited options. Uh, I also have a recipe for lentil soup that you can make in half an hour. And here's what I'm thinking. We have gotten so used to the concept that cooking is drudgery and is something we do alone. didn't used right. to be that way. Um, so cook with your family. Get them in there to help you. Uh, do potlucks with your friends. Make Create community in the kitchen and at the table. You don't have to do it alone. Make it, make it fun. Cluster the people you love around you. And the time will go fast. It will go fast. And even if even if you have people that don't want to help or don't want to do anything or you are, you know, living in an apartment by yourself or wherever you are and, and you're not with family right now, it's still, that's almost giving you the freedom to do whatever you want with food and to take the time and really know what you're preparing and and turn it into something so good, it, it does become a ritual. And I don't think it takes that long to do that, to to know that, oh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make, like you said, the red lentil soup, which was, I saw that in your book and I thought, oh, that's a really good recipe. I have a red lentil soup recipe that's quick too, but this one looks good. I'll try this because it's different. And there was, there was a bread recipe as well that I knew was cooked uh, with, oh, oh, what was the name of that? It's um, a quick oat recipe for bread. Oh, the, the, and I thought, whole, yeah. A yeah. lot of these things sound like they take time. They they will take minimal time and effort on your part, and they take you know they'll do the rest for you. Like okay, you you start the the bread or you start the soup, and you've got half an hour uh, to, to text to to watch whatever show you want to watch, and you've got dinner. Right. You don't have you don't have to like stir everything all the time. Um, let the food take care of itself. A lot of these recipes do. And the smells that you get from them, it's its uh, uh, no-need whole wheat bread because you don't need to need it. <laughs> and, uh, once that starts baking in the smell of bread, I don't know about anybody else, but that's a wonderful smell to have in your kitchen. And it permeates yeah. the entire house. And you get hungry, and you know what you're preparing it with. There's nothing better than warm bread. There's nothing better than all these things that you can do in your home. And then it's almost like, well, it is instant gratification. Yeah, because you created this, so you're getting more than just food and, and you know healthy food for your body and preparing food that you bought and helping the local farmers or whoever with whatever because you purchased from them. So it, it really is a circle and it comes around. There's just so much to it. People probably just need to be I don't like to use the word trained, but for lack of a better word that I can come up with right now, they just need to be trained to to want to go home and do that and start it. And after probably a week of doing that, they're going to want to do it again. I really believe that. I do, too. Um, I think cooking is very, very empowering because it means you are not um, – you have options other than processed food. And I would really like to believe the food manufacturers out there have our best interests at heart. I have – done enough research to believe that may not be true. Uh, that they, they want to drive sales and they are finding food combinations that sort of make people just want more of it. But when you cook your own food, you're in charge. You're in charge of where you spend your money. You're, you're in charge of what you buy. You're in charge of what you're putting in your body. It's wonderful. 
it's fun too. You know, uh, when I started going to the local markets here in New Jersey, I am from Boston, and I started going to the local markets when I moved here, I bought myself a market basket because I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right, you know. And then you can fill it. The, the only problem you have is if you buy everything that you want right then and there, and then you have to eat it fast. Because you <laughs> <laughs> that can be a problem. But I live in an area where there is no Whole Foods. There is no, you know, store that is specifically, you know, natural food or organic foods. There are sections in the grocery stores, but they're typical grocery stores. I'm far enough away from those areas where I don't have that. So the local farmers markets that I can go to on the weekend – they don't really have them during the week, I will go to and I'll try to buy food for the week. And there's nothing cooler than getting, say, Brussels sprouts on that long stock. I know. You know? And, and like, so many people don't even know that's how they grow. They look, they look kind of crazy, but it's really wonderful to discover these things. It's pretty on the kitchen counter before you use it. So it yeah. actually does, you know, it's inviting when somebody walks into your home and they see a bowl of fruit or a bowl of veggies in my house, you'll see, you know, uh, that spear of, I don't know what to call it, broccoli, you'll see fresh asparagus, you'll see tomatoes on the vine. This is how they come come out. This is how they're grown. And people have said, I didn't know that's how Brussels sprouts were grown. Mm-hmm. There were, I had peanuts in the house, and somebody said, oh, where'd you get the peanuts? And I said, somebody grew them. And I said, I guess they're just digging them up out of the ground. And they said, no, how do they grow? And I said, you dig them up out of the ground. I mean, they didn't even know <laughs> peanuts are in the ground. And I was like, wow, you know. Um, it was really kind of, it's interesting when you go to these farmer's markets because you do find things that are grown in your own area that you never thought to try. And they'll help you and tell you this is how you make it. This is how you, what you can do with it. And you'll have made a a great new friend, and you'll have discovered new foods to eat and, and how to prepare them. And you're right. Produce is really very sexy looking. You know, you you have these, like, we're, we're in the middle of eggplant season now, so I've got this, like, wonderfully tawny, leathery eggplant on my counter and, and vine-ripened tomatoes, and I've got, like, a vase of fresh herbs. It, you know, mm. they're, they're, they're feathery and they're green and they just smell so good. I mean, really, it, you know, attractive stuff. It, you know, it's ornamental, it's functional because it's really good for you. We should pay attention to these things. It is nature telling us, eat me, I am delicious. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's calling out to you. It's just begging you <laughs> to partake. One interesting thing was, and I, I just learned this, I don't know, probably within the last two years, I was never a fan of kale. I would buy kale and use it for uh, autumn decorations, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would be outside in a container or whatever on the stoop. I built a cornucopia and put it in there. It looks so pretty. And then someone said, you can eat it. And I said, really? And I, I did something with it. I don't know how I did it. And it was god-awful. I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. <laughs> you know, I don't mind trying new things, but this is just, what did I do? Then a woman I know who's a raw food cook made kale chips. Uh-huh. But the way she made them, she said, you have to have one of those dehydration uh-huh. oven things. I don't have that. You don't need it because I just read it in your book. And I thought, oh, this recipe, she tells you how to do this, and I, don't, I can use my regular oven. So I was very excited about that because kale, after I tried her kale chips, I thought, you know what, it's not bitter the way that it came out when I made it. So now I take a handful of that with a couple of handfuls of spinach, and it's part of the juicing in the morning. And I've also used it in, 
I, I, I don't, I'm not a vegetarian. I eat some meat every once in a while, but I don't eat a lot of meat at all. But I do eat fish and seafood. So when I make shrimp Florentine, I make the shrimp and I put a ton of spinach and a ton of kale in now. And it just complements each other so well. It's so good. But I am grateful that you included the kale chip recipe because now I can make those things. <laughs> oh, man. And it, it's the easiest way to get kale into my father. Because they're like <laughs> potato chips. I mean, they're just incredibly good. And this recipe is incredibly easy. Ten minutes, and, yeah. you, you know, you use up a whole head of kale, and it shrinks down to nothing. And so you can feel really good about this. And it tastes so good. I was in shock at how – I almost ate the whole bag that they had there. I was. It was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> I sat there and just – taking it and saying, is anybody else eating this? And I'm like, no, you're doing a fine job. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It was so good. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> it's so good for you. You know, The deeper pigmented the produce is, the more nutrients. So kale is like the mother load. It is calcium. It is fiber. It, it is antioxidants galore. It is, you should have felt good about that. You deserve I to did. eat them all. <laughs> I did, but I felt like I was being, you know, a little bit of a glutton. I'm, I'm like, I'm willing to share, but if nobody else is going to eat it, I don't mind not sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I like your style. <laughs> it, was very, it was very, very good. It really was. So when I saw that recipe, I was like, oh, I can't wait. This is very good. I like this recipe an awful lot. <laughs> and I think one of the other things about eating food, whether you're on the run or not, well, not so much when you're, yeah, when you're on the run and you're eating during the day, you know, sometimes we're up and down all day long and we're running around doing things. And I know for me, I will sit down sometimes at dinner and all of a sudden it's like, and it's the only time during the day I'm able to take in a really deep, deep breath. And I do breath work. So I know how to breathe, but sometimes I think, oh, this is the first time I've sat down today. And I realize that's not true, but it's the first time I sat down mindfully. And your book speaks to that so well, eating mindfully. And in our society, we've gotten away from that whole family meal. You might as well forget that scenario. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody, people don't partake of food together, enjoying it and talking. And at one point in time, that's what everybody did on Sunday afternoon. But now... Nobody does that because it seems to me there are activities going on seven days a week. It's nonstop. The world has changed. You're totally overscheduled. Yeah, yeah. And the sacredness of the ritual of eating together, the family get-togethers to enjoy food and truly connect is gone. And I thought that was such an important part of family life. It's a shame it's not as prevalent as it once was. And I think it's a contributing factor in the deterioration of the family unit. It's You're really right, and I think yeah. that's that's something we can bring back, and it's going to take every one of us to do it. Um, this is not anything that can be legislated, and it is really nothing you can appreciate until you do it. I was very fortunate. I just grew up in an extended family where, dang it, whether you wanted to be there or not, Friday nights you went to my grandparents'. And uh, I mean, from when I was a little, little girl. So I just thought, okay, this is what everyone does. And it was really only until I got a little older and in grade school that, or, or that I even began talking about it with my friends that I realized, hmm, okay, then I guess we're weird because <laughs> this is what we do and I don't know anyone else who's doing this. Uh, but I'm really grateful for that experience because I still really believe 
the table is can can be what brings us together. I have a friend, I love her dearly, but she spends all her time texting me. She lives a mile and a half <laughs> from me, and I you know I finally say, look, come over, I'll make some tea. We can have some lunch. It will be much easier than you like walking and 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 texting at the same time. Sometimes we just really need to be in the same room with each other. Yeah, that really does bring the sacred back into things. It does, and I think there's a lot of areas in life that need to be brought the the sacredness of it needs to be brought in because the technology that everybody says, oh, you know, it connects people more. It does, but it connects you less in a in a whole different way. It might connect. Yeah, it's the connection. The connection to just connect is one thing. The connection to for the intimacy, and, you know, intimacy is not just in the bedroom with a spouse or a partner. Intimacy is relationships between women, between men, between the children, that closeness, that close-knit, whatever it is, whether it's a family unit or a friendship, is gone because of technology. And it's funny because I had someone email me the other day for an appointment, and she said, you can text me, and I emailed her back and said, no, I can't. And she emailed back and said, sure you can. I said, no, I don't have it on my phone. My phone rings. My phone's six years old. It's not a magic phone. I do not have a magic phone. Don't need one. Don't want one. You know, email me or call me. That's how you're going to get an appointment. I'm not texting. I'm supposed to be working on people. I'm not supposed to be texting, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It's not part of my life. I just, I refuse to do it. (laughs) I have a friend who who is a software engineer, and he was, he's very passionate about what he does. He's talking about connectivity. And it is the way, you know, all our wonderful electronic and technological devices sync and work with each other. The connectivity. Isn't it interesting that we have a term for it, but as humans we're having trouble doing it. Yes. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, no offense to the software engineer, this is his job, but he's probably, if he's listening to this, he's hating me because I'm just not getting into it. You know? <laughs> like, oh, no, he, 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 he and I have had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see a family, and they, they do this on TV, on sitcoms, you'll see a family, and they're all sitting there texting. And they might even be texting each other. Seriously? Uh-huh. The table from one another. What is wrong with you? There's <laughs> something wrong with this picture. You know, it's well, crazy. We did the same thing. We were at this this very shishi restaurant in South Beach, and there was a table of ten. And I'm telling you, they were ten of the most exquisite people I have ever seen. They were all just like in their twenties and glowing and gorgeous, and bent over their phones texting people. I wanted to swipe them away from all of them and say, "Look who you're eating dinner with." Lucky you. Why don't you yeah. pay attention? Hmm. Yes, I had lunch with someone who was texting, and I said, are you almost done? She said, yeah, and we started talking, and she started doing it again. I said, are you here to have lunch with me, or are you here to just have a person so you're not alone in the restaurant while you text everybody else? Mm-hmm. So then she kept doing it, and I said, I'm going to leave now. She says, but you're the driver. I said, yes, I am, and I'm <laughs> going to and I, was like, and I did. I got up and left, and she called me like a half an, a half an hour later and said, are you going to come get me? I said, no. I am busy. I have stuff to do. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you if you want to be with me, then be with me. Because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had voicemail and you had to go home to get it. It wasn't that long ago that there weren't voicemail machines and you had to be home when the phone rang. You know, there's nothing that's that important consistently that you have to get every single text message while you're having lunch with someone. I understand emergencies, but not all those texts were emergencies. There's no way you can tell me that was, you know? It's true. I, I At one point in the book I say, the world will wait. You know, you yeah. cannot, um, 
you need to take time for yourself. You need to take time for the people you love, for the people you are with. You know how in um, raffles sometimes they say, you must be present to win? Yeah. I think that's true in, in everything we do. We we are are so used to doing to multitasking to our detriment that we do not take a breath, that we do not totally focus our, ourselves and our intentions on what we're doing. And it it means that we are not always there in, in the best and most loving way we could be. And we do have to be present in life, just in life in general. I mean, the world is run by those who show up, you know. <laughs> didn't Thomas Jefferson say that? I think it was Thomas Jefferson yes. who said the world is run by those who show up. Okay, great. You know, then you have to be there. But you don't have to be there in a room where uh, I go to meetings sometimes, I, I um, serve on a couple of committees, and everybody takes out their little magic phone, and they're sitting there saying, okay, I can do this, I can do that. And they'll say, what about you? I, say, I have to go home and check. I don't bring my book with me. And they'll say, don't you have one of these phones? I, no, I don't have a magic phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm just not. Because, first of all, I want to know if I want to commit to whatever it is, the meeting that they're having. So I don't want to have that there. And, you know, I want to think about it a little bit. I'll volunteer and do stuff, but it's got to be the right thing. And I volunteer for a lot. So, you know, but people really, they're so, and that's not good for their posture. Now they need more counseling. Oh, no. Or, you know, <laughs> and they're wondering why they have all these injuries in their neck and everything. And, and, I believe they've actually done studies, too, on the family unit having dinner together or people in general having dinner together and what it does with relationships. I really believe there have been studies on that, and it's proven that you can have closer relationships if you do make the effort to be present at those at those times during those meals. It's true, and... Uh... Sometimes I think the food is just the lure that brings us here um, because I do really treasure the the people in my life. Some of them I don't even live anywhere near, so it's always an effort um, to to get together. Uh, I have friends living all all over the country, so when we do get together, I really want it to be meaningful, so I wind up making dinner because I know that's the thing that's going to get them there. Right. Um, You were talking about magic phones. Magic does not come from a phone. We are the ones (laughs) who have to bring the magic. Uh, We have to really start valuing our own lives. And it doesn't necessarily take gadgetry. It does take a certain degree of mindfulness. And it can be a total delight. The fact that, that mindfulness is a chore is another myth I want to get to the bottom of. Because I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't either. And it's funny because when people go on vacation, they will still check email and text. And they can be in a foreign country. And they're now roaming charges because everything is so important. It's, when do you have downtime for you so that you can refresh and rejuvenate and regenerate and your cells can relax? You need to relax. But people don't do that. And if if they thought about it and said, you know, it's just, let's say it's an hour, an hour and a half every night that you're going to eat dinner, prepare the dinner, eat dinner, and clean up. It's probably 90 minutes in total. I know I can do it in 90 minutes, and I'm not racing, you know, Mm -hmm. because you want to have that downtime. Like I said, sometimes it's the first time you feel like you sat down during the day and you could breathe and be mindful. It's just so important to take that time for you because you have to be there for other people. But if you don't take care of you, you're not going to be there for other people for a long time. 
It's true. Um, that's why I'm really concerned about nourishing ourselves on every level. Uh, and a good meal can really, you know, quiet that hungry ghost in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's, it's meaning, it's connection. Um, if you eat a, a diet that, that's really rich in plants and fresh produce, it dials down your carbon input. It's It's like multitasking at its easiest and most delicious. And it's it teaches you so much, and you can pass it on. We talked about children earlier, and oftentimes they want to help, and really really they need to be a part of the meal preparation, but sometimes I think they get in the way because people they don't do. want to take to teach. <laughs> yeah, they're kids. That's their job. They're kids. They're learning. They're new here. They don't know everything yet. That's why the parents are there trying to teach them. And sometimes I think that doesn't happen because, well, we have to rush because so-and-so has to get to ballet or soccer or, you know, I have to go back to work or whatever it is. Always moving on to the next thing, which, again, is not thinking of being in the present moment. You're moving on already to the next thing and just everything becomes rote to get through it. So it's easier to do things to yourself and not take the time to teach them about cooking. How can people successfully involve children in the whole meal preparation I like how you, you you raise a very good question. We are so busy. So I wouldn't say you have to, like, you know, cancel ballet, cancel soccer, because believe me, that's not going to happen. And right. it's not going to make you happy. But if you could devote one meal a week, start start with one, and, like, maybe a Sunday, a day that's that's not as, as cluttered as other days, where, you know, if, if you're late for one thing, it will not impact everything else. Talk about what you want to eat together. Um, talk about the food that, the ingredients that comprise that meal. If it's possible, shop together. If you can go to a farmer's market and say, "Oh, look! Remember we said we wanted to to get um, some cilantro. Here it is. This is what it looks like." Uh, let your kid be in charge. Empower him a little bit. And you know what? If they help you in the kitchen and it's not entirely tidy. That's okay. This is all part of the process. And what you are making is not just dinner. You're making a really vital connection. You're creating memories. You're creating really, really powerful, positive, lasting things that's going to last way longer than dinner. And if they do that on a Sunday, they could actually make a few things and put them in the refrigerator or freezer so that they'd have things to say next Thursday and Friday night, and it's something to look forward to. Right, and so it won't actually clutter up your week. You'll be able to say, oh, my goodness, i got to be out the door in 45 minutes. Oh, but right, we made that stew. We made that white bean and, and, and kale stew. So let me just take that out, and I can actually breathe, and I can remember we made this together. And I know all the great nourishing ingredients that went into it. You know, it's got fiber, it's got protein, it's got antioxidants, doesn't have any weird chemicals. I can feel good about this, and I don't have to stress. And it brings up a whole, remember when we did this? What did we put in it? Do you remember? And it can be, you can be teaching the child because at that point they're saying, oh, yeah, was that the one we put the cilantro in or was that something else? And, you know, they'll think about it, and it's, it creates excitement. It's also bonding between you and your child. Yes in a very deep way. Every very family deep. has, you know, food is a connector. Uh, and, and that's why I, I write about it, really. It, it is the great connector. It connects us to the planet, connects us to each other. 
It, it, yeah. it connects us to ourselves if we if we are mindful. It's it, it's very powerful. It is, and and if you are mindful, I mean, even sometimes, you know, you'll have uh, after dinner, I'll have a cup of tea. Oftentimes, and I'll have sleepy time tea because it helps me to go to sleep. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to have sleepy time tea. And then sometimes, you know, there'll be like a piece of show up bread, and I'll think, oh, do I want that? And I'm like, yeah, you do. So go ahead, have it. You, you know, you're entitled every once in a while, you know, to have that. And you just savor it. And that's a that's a big word, you know, savor. But you can savor anything. You know, you can know, and even when I pick up my vitamins in the morning and I throw them in my mouth and I drink back the uh, the, the juice that I've made, the green juice, whatever it's comprised of that day, and in the spring it might have fruit in it or, you know, a banana in the summer or something, you're still, I'm picturing, oh, these vitamins are really good for me, so this is good. And if you picture that as you're eating whatever it is you're eating, it I think it changes the whole structure of what you're eating, and it is good for you. Yes. It's better for you than than you even realize because you you're taking it in wholly, if you will. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you don't forbid yourself anything. When we say, "Oh, I shouldn't be eating that," it just sort of puts all this weird energy around food, and it gives it more power than it needs to have in our lives. And we think, "Oh, you know," you just get very knotted up and conflicted when you treat some food as a treat or something that you're eating to enrich yourself, you do savor more. Sometimes, you do your- yeah, sometimes less is more. You can really enjoy mm-hmm. a, a piece of shortbread that way. It's like, wow, this is really great with a cup of tea. That's wonderful. And, you know, one is fine. Right. I mean, I'll even do it with, you know, it's crazy. You're in the store and the eggplant looks so good. I love eggplant parmesan. And I'll be, oh, that looks really good. I'll make this on Monday. Well, that might be Saturday. Well, come Sunday, I can't stand looking at it anymore. I want it for that. I'll make it that night. (laughs) I'm not going to wait till Monday. I'm doing it now. I want it now, you know. And that, I guess, is a patience issue, but that's another show. Oh, I now would probably I, need some help there as well. I'm not I think a lot of us do, yes. <laughs> Although you seem very calm and patient, so I don't think you have that struggle too much. <laughs> no, and I actually, just enjoy talking to people about what's about ways to nourish us in, in great ways. It's a and pleasure. What you're about. You are absolutely passionate about it, and it does calm you down too because when you get into that zone of cooking and creating, and it's very creative to you know put other things in and try new things, you're in a your stress levels are low, your cortisol levels are really low because you're doing something that's fun and you're creating. You're in the zone, right? And you are doing one thing. Uh, Quite often I'm thinking, okay, I need to get back to her about this. I need to post this other thing. I need to, oh, my God, I need to do that picture. Um, And it's only good up to a point, and then, like, my brain starts coming out of my ears. But when I make dinner, I know I'm making dinner. Uh, You know, I am chopping this. I am adding cumin. I am chopping sage. It is one thing. It is instant gratification. I, I am focusing all my energy and all my love into what I'm doing. And it always it's, comes out good. Mm. Yes, and it's very true, too, because sometimes I'll be doing that and the phone will ring and I'll think, oh, no, no, I'm making dinner. I'll have to call whoever you are back. And then I'll call the person back an hour and a half later and they'll say, oh, why didn't you pick up the phone? And I'll say, I was making dinner. You couldn't pick up the phone? No. 
It's a real simple answer. No, <laughs> I couldn't. I am not. I don't want to cradle the phone in my ear while I'm trying to do something. This is how you can cut yourself. You'll miss putting in an ingredient. No, you know, this is my time. I don't ask for an awful lot, but this is my time, so I do that. And you, I think you have to carve that out for yourself and, you know, and give yourself little rules, if you will, so that, you know, you can have fun with it and you know it's okay. Once you know it's okay and, and people understand this about you, they get that, oh, yeah, crazy tease, you know, she's not going to pick up the phone because it's dinner time. <laughs> I mean, when I was growing up, you weren't allowed to pick up the phone when it was dinner time. Nope, they can call back. You know, you didn't get to know who it was or anything, and there was no, uh, you know, caller ID. So <laughs> that was out the window. <laughs> uh, here's we a kind all of a deserve fun. my time. I love that you do that. We all need a little time and nourishment for ourselves. And we're, you know, we're not talking about, you know, going to some far distant spa that costs a lot of time or, or a lot of money, this is something you can do for yourself. This is very empowering. And for some reason, we are loath to do it. It's it's a very small but very profound change. Well, I think it, we've been taught, you know, no, you can't, you have to do for others, you can't do for yourself. And you know what? If you don't do your, for yourself, you won't be there to do it's for others. True. You have to do self-care. You have to do the nurturing just so you can get through the day. It, you know, it all comes back to you don't want to be so physically exhausted that all of a sudden disease start to manifest because stress is, you know, it's the number one reason you get 85% of the diseases people get. You know, it causes 85% of the sicknesses out there and it, the more you can de-stress, even if it's just for a few minutes a day, the better off you're going to be. And that's something that we talk about a lot on this show, and, and I'm hardcore about it. But I, there are people who would disagree and say, T, you're always going. Yes, I am, but I do take time out for me. I know I do. So, and you, you know, do that, stuff that energizes you in good ways. You know, you know yourself that well. I know yeah, that I, when I, I get stressed in, in bad ways, and it does happen, I just don't really want to be around me very much. <laughs> So we have to do what feeds us in in very deep ways. Yes, I mean, there are times I don't want to be around me. I think who else would, you know? So that's when you, you know, sequester yourself and you just say, oh, no, this is not a good moment, you know? You don't want to be with me right now. I cannot believe it. This This hour seems to have flown by, Ellen. But before we say goodbye, would you please tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your work and how and where they can purchase your book, Feeding the Hungry Ghost? Feeding the Hungry Ghost is everywhere. It's at your <laughs> local uh, indie bookstore. It's at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound. You can find out more about me at Ellen Inc. E L L E N dash I N K dot com, and uh, I'm Huffington Post Meatless Monday blogger. I would love to talk to you about spirit, food, whatever feeds you. That's great, you know. And and listeners, I need you to spread the word. If you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, share it with your friends. Send the link to this show so they can be made aware of all the wonderful things that we offer on our show. All of the guests here share their time freely. They give us a minimum of 60 minutes of their day to help us all. And as you all are aware, they do it at no charge. You pay nothing for their wisdom and their knowledge and you, that you receive here at Energy Awareness Radio from everybody who comes on the show. And tonight we've gotten so much information. I want to thank you so, so much, Ellen, again, for sharing your time with all of us. It has been a real treat having you on the show. What a, what a great experience for everyone. Including me. Thank you, T. This was so much fun. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. I'm really glad that you had a good time, too. <laughs> 
On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. Mark your calendar so that you don't forget. And for more information about me, please visit my website, quantum-wellness-center.com. You'll all find an archived list of past shows, a lineup for upcoming shows, information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year, the Crystal Bowl concerts that you're all familiar with. You know, check that out. See if there's one in your area. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. Have a good night.